Welcome back to your Daily Dose. It's me, your old pal Nick. The one constant in life is change. And after 600 plus episodes, Bob and I decided to try something new with this podcast. We're going to bring in some of the amazing people we know to share the neat things that they're doing. And there are few as amazing and doing as many neat things as Jim W. Hobart. Actually, I don't know what his middle initial is. Known the guy for more than 20 years. Don't even know if he has a middle name. I am a terrible friend. Enjoy. You know, I didn't drink before I met Jim. No. Is that true? Yeah. Jim and the rest of the crew at Night Images. They made you into an alcoholic. They were the first group of people I trusted enough to drink around because I always had like a little bit of a control issue. Like, oh, obviously what happens based on what I've seen of people and uh, in the media is that you get drunk, you lose control, you do stupid things. And so, yeah, once I met Jim and the rest, and I realized that you could have people around you that you could trust to drink around and not do something super foolish. Yeah. And if you did, nobody would like hold it against you forever. And like, they would take care of you if you couldn't take care of yourself. That's right. the this biggest is, thing. Right, because my mom used to say, I don't care if you're drinking, I don't care if you're smoking pot, I just care that you have people who are with you who are gonna take care of you. So I think it's really awesome that yeah. that was, your entry into the world of alcohol was based on the trust that you felt of Jim Hobart, who is our first ever guest on your Daily Dose. Uh, welcome, Jim. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to join you, and I'm so honored to be your first guest. Yeah, well, that was very strategic because we just spent a couple hours in your studio watching you do what you do so incredibly well. And I know it's not all that you do, but man, to be on the other side of the lens from you, it's a, it's a spiritual experience. I, I feel I feel nervous when I approach. When I first come in, just because you, you get yeah. self-conscious. The second I get through your door, I feel less self-conscious. I feel like this guy's going to take care of us and when you find delight in what you see i i haven't even seen them yet but i feel delight because that's that's who you are you can see well thanks yeah, and just trust you enough to know that if you like them they're going to be good i think you're going to like them i and what i'm doing is projecting what you have told me you want and you've shown me some samples and when i see what i what was in my mind that you want i'm happy because i think the client's going to be happy and you guys are going to love it so and by the way you weren't watching me do what i do you were actively participating you two both were very busy the whole time oh i i have the sweat stains to prove it yeah (laughs) well i feel like that too like i felt like you were almost in our pictures because your spirit was because you you were doing some crazy stuff out there some of the things that you were saying we're supposed to be serious. You actually said to us, okay, serious faces. And then something comes out of your mouth and we're like, we can't be serious with that. So no. it's it's a beautiful thing. So now, I've known you for many years. Yeah. Uh, not as many years, I don't think, as Nick. Or maybe I met you in a more shallow sense when I was working at the hospital. Uh, but you guys have known each other for how long? 97-ish, yeah. 25-ish years. We met We've, playing soccer. Yep. Yeah, we played it after after work, sport and social soccer. Yep. Yeah. And one day, I think I told you the story, but one day I was, I had just given my two weeks notice. I came and I just started a new job. It was like my first job out of college. And Jim goes, who I didn't know at the time very well, oh, how's that new job? And I go, well, I just gave two weeks notice. Right. And you said, hey, we might be hiring a writer. Yeah. So in my former life, before um, I had the photo, photo business, <laughs> yes. uh, I, and a college friend of mine owned an advertising agency, um, Knight, which was Knight Images and is now Knight Creative and Marketing. And um, they're still around downtown. So the, yeah. the thing we started in 1994 is still going. And Nick was a big part of it for many years. 
That is amazing. I love how these circles all intersect. We are just one big delightful Venn diagram. Now, Jim, yeah. you, uh, you, your career has evolved a lot because you've gone from that world, which is very different than the world that you're in now, and you've also been launching into a bunch of different ventures. And the one thing that I do want you to talk to us a little bit about is your Legacy Life Project because this is something profound. This is something that I feel like taps into all of your gifts and it provides such a gift to the people that you take care of. So tell us what that's about. Well, thank you, Bob. Um, it's often said that photography is 10% technique and 90% psychology. And I really believe that because to be able to pull a look out of someone in a five or 10 minute session, get them comfortable enough to give you them their real true self is, is tricky, right? It takes a little bit of mental gymnastics to get them there. And so I've gotten good at reading people. I'm, I'm pretty good at empathy, and I love learning about people. And so creating the Legacy Life Project, which is video biographies of mostly elderly folks, but not always, and capturing their stories, it gives me the chance, which is, you know, we talked earlier about you designing a, the life you've got now. Mm -hmm. This is creating the thing I love most in the world, which is telling stories and listening to other people tell me their stories and capturing them on, on film. And um, I love it so much. Um, I'm, I'm sad that we can only usually do about a three-hour session because otherwise it gets out of control, but it doesn't matter who it is. We learn cool new things, and the kids or whoever hired us to do the, the interview always learn something new that they didn't know, which makes me so happy to think that I was able to get a new family story that wasn't a part of the lore, and now it's forever recorded so so where did you get this idea i mean where did where did what was the genesis of going from being a world-class photographer to now capturing people's entire lives uh, or the, the highlights of their lives for the family members that they have um thanks for asking that um it was an evolution um as you're probably well aware um as we went from film to digital and then from early digital to modern day digital slrs the the, the quality of the Recording has gotten better, the sensors have gotten better, and now, of course, all still cameras come with a video component. So it sort of came along with the hardware we were using anyway. And gradually over time, we began working with Adobe Premiere and making short films, and it gradually evolved into filmmaking, true documentary filmmaking. But the catalyst was when um, my dad passed suddenly with a brain tumor about three years ago. And I was kicking myself because I have all this gear, the software, the know-how, the people. And I could have captured his story and I didn't. And I got mad at myself because I thought, well, why did I not do it? And, and I've come to the conclusion, I guess I've forgiven myself, it wasn't just procrastination. There's a psychological problem with interviewing your own parents. It's tricky. It's there's, it's not that they don't want to talk to you, it's that there's just this shorthand because they think you already know these stories or you don't care or it's just not important. But a stranger, like your bartender or your barber or your, pool, your, your golfing buddy, you know, you'll tell those people all kinds of things because they don't come with any baggage. They're not, they're not part of your close-knit family. So a stranger doing the interview who has a, is informed with interesting information, like don't forget to ask him about that time he went to Myrtle Beach or ask him about his um, military uh, experiences or talk to him about this, he won't talk to us about it. And then they give me the list of things to discuss and then they clear out and it's just one-on-one -on -one or one-on-a-couple and it's suddenly they open up 
because mm-hmm. I'm no threat. Well, and you say stranger, though. I don't know of anybody who's a stranger to you for more than a few minutes when oh, we're in thanks. the same space with you. And this is the truth of the matter. You, you dig into people's lives. You are, you're an open-hearted person. I think people sense that, and they're willing to share with you. Yeah, you're armed with information, and you are someone who's not their family. But I think you become quick quickly intimate with the people that, that you are capturing. And part of that is because I think you see us differently. You see more of us to begin with. And my sense is that we sense it, that we have a sense that this person Thanks. can see it. Why not just go ahead and share it anyways? And voila, you are unleashing them for their families. Well, I really appreciate that. I, I think I'm good at interviewing. I think I'm good at, I'm good at asking questions. I don't like to talk about myself. So if I go to dinner with a, a new person or a business associate, I'm happy if they don't know anything about me, but I know everything about them. And that's mm. kind of what I'm doing is I'm interviewing everyone I talk to. So thanks for letting me blab a little bit about don't, myself. Don't you find that, that <laughs> if you're talking to people uh, and they don't ask any questions of you, that there's a signal about who that person is? There's a little bit of a signal for sure, unless they are very famous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, or really introverted. So, yeah. you know, so. yeah. Well, no, but if you're having a conversation with somebody, right, and they're like, I had people at my house for dinner. Mm. And I won't identify who they are because it's too embarrassing. But I, I spent three hours in my house feeding these people, and they never asked a single question about me or Patty. Wow. Yeah. And, that, and I'm like, okay, I don't think they're shy. They just no, wanted true. to talk about themselves. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of that. Um, but in this particular project I'm working on, the whole goal, we start out with the fact that I'm not going to talk. I'm going to ask questions and let you tell me stuff because this is all about you. So in that particular case, it's, it's desirable that they, they don't need to know about me. It's not what right. we're there for. But You're not part of the story. I'm not. In fact, we edit me out. So when it's all said and done, the family never hears me at all. It's yeah. only extemporaneous talk by them. So I have a question anyways. about the editing process because when I'm doing a story typically with audio, like, and I do an interview, every part of it becomes precious to me. Because I'm like, every part of it makes me smile. Every part of it makes me think something. And it's hard for me to cut stuff out, but you have to in order to make it a succinct story. But with something like this, do you, do you cut much out? Or is it just trying to layer in like the images and some music to yeah. help it be an experience? Yeah, and, and because of the nature of what we're doing um, and telling a whole life story, we don't cut much out. We, we cut out rabbit trails that don't seem to go anywhere or pointless stuff. And we sometimes, halfway through the conversation, they'll suddenly remember, oh, I, I forgot to add this one thing at the end of what I just told you. And so we move pieces around to make it a more coherent or sometimes chronological story. But you're right. This is the family's record of this person. And it's not really up to us to decide what's important and what isn't. So we do very little cutting. We do editing and we tweak and we sometimes someone has problems remembering, so we take away the parts where they're humming and hawing uh, and stuff. Yeah. But the, the, the story stays pretty much intact, which is why we limit the time we're there. So if we do a three-hour interview, they probably get a two-and-a-half-hour final piece. We, we've really just cut out the extraneous stuff. because. So you ever cry during the editing of this stuff? Ooh, I cry during the interview sometimes. <laughs> I mean, there are some stories, and, and so do they. So do the yeah. subjects. I've had couples um, look at each other and just tear up, and then, of course, I'm right there with yeah. them. I'm uh, a for sure. It's, oh, it's so good. And, and 
most people that I talk to start with something like, I don't know what you're going to talk about because I'm not very interesting. And by the time we're done, they're like, I've remembered things today that I haven't thought about in 50 years. And we all have a big celebration. And sometimes the people who hired me are in the room. Sometimes they're in the next room listening, but not directly in eyesight. And sometimes they make the introduction and get in their car and drive away, and we just take care of it. That's Depends on that relationship. Yeah. Well, and sometimes they know they won't talk unless the Somebody family is, is out yeah. of the room. So, yeah, it's a fascinating um, project, and, and I learn something every single time we do this. I was just in North Carolina interviewing a, a couple for a friend of mine, and their, their little cabin in the mountains, and it was just amazing. How incredible. Because you're, yeah. you're creating art out of life. Mm. I mean, it's like they say art imitates life or life imitates art. You, are, you actually made those two Venn diagrams become a single circle with this project, which to me is amazing because I just think about the families. Like, what they walk away with is, as much as it's right. heartbreaking to lose somebody that you love, older in your family or not, mm -hmm. to have this permanent something, right? Because yeah. it's all digital as well, right? I mean, yep. so they can store oh, it yeah. in, in the cloud forever. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I hate to, this is a weird thing because I don't ever want to be salesy about it, but the trick is explaining to people who still have all their parents and grandparents, it's hard to know how much you will want this mm -hmm. once it's too late to get it. Yeah. And you almost have to trust people who have lost a relative, and I ask them, you know, what would you do for this? And they're like, I'd give anything. I'd give anything at all to have right. two hours with my grandpa yeah. or my dad. And so it's, it's hard to, you don't want to be salesy. It's like selling life insurance, you know. Right. One day you'll be gone, and, and I hate that. But it's so important. And now I know, because I'm a living proof that you, you regret it if you don't have it. I, yeah. I, You're selling life enhancement because they can then take a look at that yes. part of their life that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to look at. Well, everybody else in the family that comes along later can look at it and go, okay, right. yeah. now I know this person. Yeah, I, even ones who've never met them, right? Yeah, I mean, and I was probably in my 40s before I knew what I wanted to know. So if grandma and grandpa pass on when the kids are in their teens, for example, they don't even know what they want to ask yet. And by the time they do, like their 20s and 30s and 40s, they're long gone. It's too late. So what I'm excited about is giving this time capsule to a future generation and saying, you don't know it now, but one day you're going to sit down and watch this and be like, this is where I come from. Time capsule is like time travel, Nick. It is like time travel. <laughs> Nick, Nick Don't has, start me on. Nick has this feeling that whenever time travel is introduced in a movie or in a, a piece of, of literature, that the quality of that goes down immediately. And, uh, but I think this, this concept of time travel is a little different because it does allow you to say, well, I, Grandpa died before yeah, I was born. Yeah, you're capturing a history. Yeah, but it's well, three-dimensional, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, I can't yeah. wait till you can do this with holograms. Oh, right. 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 So people sitting Ooh. in the room with a hologram of grandpa telling stories of life. Imagine Gather that. around, children. Sit down. I'm going to tell you a little story. Tommy, take that out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, so a little AI with it as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. The, we'll do that. The one, the one crazy thing about this is when you're sitting with, a, say, a 90-year-old. We, we interviewed this couple that were 90 and 92. And they're sitting on their couch, and they're telling me about their childhood and their grandparents. So imagine a 92-year-old telling you about their grandparents who were in their 90s when they were kids we're talking 1800s these people were born and alive and incredible and these people lived through both world wars i mean we're talking old anyway and then two more generations and then you know they know their grandkids so what's that in one human brain we're talking like six generations grandparents parents you know oh my goodness so it's it's like this cross 
it's time travel. It, it really is. is, and it's it's super cross generational. I mean, I never even thought of that. That if if they're great, they have longevity in their lives, right? That that sandwich generation can see all the way into with their kids' current lives and all the way into their grandparents' yep. childhoods yep. from the stories they've been told. Yep. That's gotta be. I mean, I feel like from 1962 to. 2022 I've learned and seen so much during that time and, and even with the extension of my families don't you feel that way it's like yeah you you get better perspective and better context the later you go yeah yeah well, right. isn't that the truth Absolutely. so you don't even know what to do with what you have when you're younger and when you're younger you're so full of yourself that yeah you don't you, you don't even acknowledge right. that there are those What's blind spots saying youth is wasted on the young yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like the uh, yeah. Mark Twain's take on it was uh when, uh, when I was 14, my old man didn't know a damn thing. But by the time I was 21, I was amazed at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's all that perspective, right? Right, so. right absolutely. Hey, gang, it's Bob. How awesome it was to spend some time with our good friend Jim Hobart. Not only was it great to learn and share more about this wonderful artist and professional, this is an exciting new direction for our podcast. Nick and Bob and fascinating humans. We love that Jim was our door opener to this new world our first fascinator, if you will. Though this episode is a little longer than our standard podcast, it still only offers a glimpse of Jim. In addition to the cool stuff we talked about today, Jim owns a very cool art gallery. He co-created a local love foundation Orlando, and he flies planes, drones, and seaplanes. Interesting life, am I right? Please check out tomorrow's episode when we continue our conversation with Jim Hobart, and we learn a little bit more about the method to his magic. That's it for this dose, my friends. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening.